verse 8. The king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host to capture one man. I ask my master, How shall we do? And Elisha answered and said, Chariots and his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, How shall we do? Elisha answered and said, Fear not. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Elisha answered and said, Fear not. Said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Elisha answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Does everybody believe that? So what's the problem with having a vision then? If God is for us, then why can't we be visionary people? All right, now you've got to put your money where your mouth is. You, everybody on board? Put your neighbor and smile and say, I'm on board. Even if you're not, we'll have altar service in a few minutes. <clears throat> and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Lord opened his eyes, a young man, he saw, and behold, the mountains was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. The above scripture is a record of a fascinating historic sequence. Syria and Israel were perpetual enemies, still are. God had given to Elisha the gift of discerning of the plans of the king of Syria. It even checked out Elisha's intelligence, the Israelites, from Syrian ambushes. The king had given had even checked out Elisha's intelligence reports and from Syrian ambushes. The king had given had even checked out Elisha's intelligence reports and found the Syrian ambushes. The king had given had even checked out Elisha's intelligence reports and found this prophet was accurate. So the king of Syria gathered his advisors together and said, Look, someone's talking, someone's leaking all this information, and one of his people said, No, there's no spies among us. The God of Israel is telling their prophet, Elisha, everything you do, including what you do in your bedchamber. That gets kind of intimate and close to home right there, don't it? You can't even close the door and keep God out. He's got up early in the morning to do a chore of some kind. And living. So they arrived at night, and one of Elijah's servants got up early in the morning to do a chore of some kind. And when he walked, So they arrived at night, and one of Elijah's servants got up early in the morning to do a chore of some kind. And when he walked outside, he... So they arrived at night, and one of Elijah's servants got up early in the morning to do a chore of some kind. And when he walked outside, he looked around, and he saw the army of Syria had surrounded their city. Went running back to Elisha, said, we're in trouble. The Syrians are here. We're going to be ambushed. We're done. It's over. And uh, he was kind of panicking, and Elisha took him outside and looked at all the soldiers and then he lifted his eyes and prayed and said God open his eyes and let him see what I see and you know what happened when God opened his eyes he saw the 
fiery chariots of God Almighty had surrounded them. He saw the angelic host. Now notice, when this servant of Elisha saw the hillside filled with all these and these Syrians with blindness, and God did. And again, and said, God smite these Syrians with blindness, and God did. Said, God smite these Syrians with blindness, and God did. God smite these Syrians with blindness, and God did. And he reminded this servant, don't be afraid. There's more that be with us than are with them. So Elisha learned a lesson that we need to learn, that in every hour of peril and apparent defeat, the soul that trusts in God is surrounded. But if he has eyes to see, if you have a vision, if you can see, if you could just see, there's divine spiritual agencies equal to the task that can take care of our problems on any and every level. So what we need and what I want to teach tonight for a little while is vision on a personal level. If I ask you tonight for a show of hands, and I'm not, but if I ask you for a show of hands as to how many of you have a three-year plan for your life, you have the next three years mapped out, this is what I want to do in my relationship with God, what would it be? Where would you like to be? Our last series was, you remember part of our building a vision in our, our last series was, you remember part of our building a vision in our, our last series was, you have to be, part of our building a vision in our, our last series was, you have to be a willing to abandon the good to have the best. You don't abandon the bad to have the best. You abandon good to have the best. So that means that you're growing comfortable through the years that I can't win certain people. I can't impact certain people. So I'm just going to be happy with my relationship with God and just let it be. That's not vision. Can I be honest? Time to call that lazy. <laughs> I'm on my way to heaven, and you know, as long as I make the rapture, that's really all that's important. We have to have vision, folks. Everybody in this room, you have to have a vision on a personal level. Where do you want to be in your relationship with God and its impact in the next three years? What do you want to be doing? Same thing you're doing now. So let's talk about vision. Everybody understand? I'm being as simple as I can. So let's talk about vision. What is, everybody understand? I'm being as simple as I can. So let's talk about vision. What is vision? I'm being as simple as I can. So let's talk about vision. What is vision? Let me go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. We're going to be announcing something pretty cool here in the next couple of weeks. And I'm trying to get you ready for it. I'm trying to get you on board for it. There's something coming in June and you're just going to have to wait and see what's coming next. And then there's even more next. There's more than next. Okay. Let's talk about vision for a minute. 
Duke Ellington, the late jazz musician, composer, renowned band leader, was once asked to provide a definition of rhythm. He said, if you've got it, you don't need any definition. But if you don't have it, ain't no definition going to help you. I concur. Man, some of y'all smile. Can, can, is it okay? Just play like you're enjoying this right now. Just play like. Make me feel better. <clears throat> Vision, thankfully, is not quite as elusive as rhythm. You aren't sure what it's going to be like when you do. So let's talk sure what it's going to be like when you do. So let's talk about what it's going to be like when you do. So let's talk about and define the concept of vision. You might could define vision very loosely as foresight with insight based on hindsight. The definition underscores the importance of looking to the future, but at the same time emphasizing the significance of possessing a keen awareness of current circumstances and possibilities and notes the value of learning from the past. But as cool as this definition is and as cool as it sounds, it's somewhat imprecise. I'll go on to define in a moment. One church leader said that he believed vision was seeing the invisible and making it visible. I can buy into that. Another leader suggested that his working definition of vision was Vision is an informed bridge from the present to the future. I give that a nod. Still another pastor used the expression of sanctified dreams. It's the way he defined vision. One man said vision is the art of seeing things invisible. But I love this illustration. One man said a rock pile ceases to be a rock pile the moment a single man contemplates it bearing within him the image of a cathedral. That's incredible. So this is what I like to say vision is. Vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to his chosen servants and is based upon an accurate understanding of God, of self, and of circumstances. A clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to his chosen people and is based on an accurate understanding of God, self, and circumstances. Let's talk about the first of these. A clear mental image. Vision is a picture held in your mind's eye of the way things could or should be in the days ahead. I asked you a moment ago if you had a three-year vision. Let's shorten it to a year. Where would you like to be a year from now? And your relationship with God and its impact on your world around you. Vision connotes or it's an implied meaning or implying something else. Vision connotes a visual reality, a portrait of conditions that do not currently exist. This picture is internalized on the inside of you. You see what you want to be. You see things that you want to happen. And you take a picture of it with your mind's eye. 
and you brand that onto your brain. You, you've got a wall to build. Okay. Everybody understand? Remember the Nehemiah story that I talked about? You've got a wall to build. He went to Jerusalem, built a wall, and that's what he did. So you take a snapshot picture. This can apply to your marriage. It can apply to parenting. It can apply to your job. There's people here tonight that are in such a stalemate on your job, you don't know what you're doing, you hate it. And you wish you could find another job. And you would get another job, you'd be on the honeymoon for a little while, and the same thing would happen again. There's probably people that's repeated this process several times. The problem is not the job per se. The problem is in between your ears. Because you don't have a vision. You don't know where you're at. You don't know where you want to go. And if you did know where you wanted to go, you don't have any clue on how to get there. You must have a vision for your life if it's going to develop to its fullest extent. If you're going to come to your sunset years fulfilled and happy, that's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen because of planning and sticking to your plan. It's a vision and sticking to your vision. So it becomes internalized. It's on the inside of you and it's personal. It's not somebody else's view of the future. It's not what other people think is good for you. It's not what other people are mapping out for you. It's what it's what's yours. It's what you're going to take possession of. Now, I, I like to try to be a positive guy. And, uh, I'm not overly charismatic in my personality like some are, but I do like to try to be positive from time to time. But I also like to be very real. I'm a very realist person. And... Um, I know that everybody's not going to get your head around this, but I get about two or three that can get their head around it. We can turn this church upside down. If you can understand vision, seeing where you can leave the good to be the best. Personal vision. So eventually we who have vision will have to paint that mental portrait for others if we wish the vision to materialize in our church. So just as you have used your imagination to create this view of the future, you'll have to lead others to catch that same vision so that they too might share its implementation and impact. Thus, having a clear picture in mind is essential. You have to know what you want, and you have to start planning steps in how to get there. A fuzzy, out-of-focus perspective isn't vision. That's just blurry. We need to, And we need to learn how to... Pass it on to those who are coming in. And, 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 and God knows, uh, Sister Murphy and I spend hours with people, mostly on a one-on-one basis. I have spent hours with Gary and Ashley McDonald since they've come to this church. I want them to get on board with our vision. They, they're people that can make things happen. They're, they're excited. They have a lot of zeal. They have a lot of passion. And they go for it, man. They've, they've already won people to God since they've been here. And I want to immobilize people like that. And I want him to have a vision for our Sunday school department in Grace Reach. Where do you want it in the past year? And he's made that very clear. And I still think that's doable. The second part of our definition of vision is a preferable future. And everybody listen. You have to understand that if you're going to leave the good to be the best, you have to be willing to change who you are now, and what you're now doing. You can't have the best still operating and maintaining the good. You have to step up somewhere. You have to start being better at the game, if you will. Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to change your strategy. You're going to have to change the way you think. 
You're going to have to change the way you see things. You're going to have to change the way you see people. You can't stay small-minded and expect to have a big vision. You have to change. You have to expand. You have to grow your, your mental capabilities. You have to stretch. We say We use the word stretch all the time. I've learned it the hard way. When the kingdom of God wants to expand in an area, it has to stretch the people to make that happen. And stretching is uncomfortable. If you don't believe it, go to the health club and give it for about three hours when you had not been there in about two years. You'll find out what stretching muscles is all about the next morning when you can't get out of the bed. Does everybody understand? Stretching isn't easy. When your joints are tired and you, your body's aching and whatever, and you don't want to do that. I don't want to stretch. But God says, I want to expand my kingdom in your area, in your home, in your life, and in your family. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to stretch your brain. So preferable future incorporates change, not compromise, change. It's possible to change without compromising your core beliefs. Does everybody understand that? Y'all know who I'm after. I'm, I'm after POA in Alexandria. I've had, that's been a distant, very distant model for me. But uh, we, we, we're fixing to come out and introduce to y'all a new little phone app you can put on your phone. It's going to be really cool for all of our church stuff. POA don't have one of them yet. So I finally passed them up in one area. We're ahead. Hallelujah. <laughs> but hey, man, if they can grow a church and, and be UPC apostolic, da-da-da-da-da, of what, 2,000 people? In Alexandria? Not speaking nothing of Alexandria, except there's really nothing there. It's a great place. But why can't we do that? Huh? Why? I believe we can. I believe we can. I believe we can grow our church. Amen. So you have to be willing to stretch. Vision is never about maintaining the status quo. Vision is about stretching reality to extend beyond what exists currently. If it doesn't, it's not vision. So vision is required even when the church is in a good position. Vision is not just for churches that are struggling with their present state. As a matter of fact, I oftentimes think that vision is more applicable to a church that is in a good state because they'll be more apt to mobilize to be better, or you would think that would be the case. That's how I feel about it. I think our church is in a pretty good position. I love our church. It's running right now on all eight cylinders, as far as I know, at least up until church started. I'm not satisfied with this, man. I, I, it'd be easy to push cruise control and just kind of go through the motions. Uh, you, you got a glimpse of pastor's uh, perspective on these things a couple of Sundays ago. If we ain't going to move in a forward direction, let's just shut it down. We'll try again next Sunday. We got to move. Got to keep going. You can't stop. So vision is bigger than what is currently. It stretches beyond the parameters of what is now current in your life. 
So to create a better situation, you can either rely upon random circumstance and hope that the result is better than what has existed. I've never known of one single millionaire, billionaire, that just got there by accident, just so happened. Most of them, most self-made millionaires, it's a lot of hard work and a whole lot of creativity, man. And people that were willing to take risk. What is that old saying? If you keep doing the same things you've always done, you'll keep getting the same things you've always got. Sooner or later, the cycle has to stop. You have to start thinking differently. Think outside the box. So, or you can assert, listen to pastor, you can assert control over your environment. Instead of your environment controlling you, you get control of your environment. Based on God's empowerment and direction, you can make for yourself a better future if you get a hold of your environment. Grace Church made up of wonderful, wonderful people. But there's an element of people here that just, I love getting on Facebook whining. I don't want anybody to ever take that away from me. If I can't get on Facebook and ask everybody on this planet to pray for me because I'm going to die in the next five minutes, you couldn't live. I'd hate living that way. Everything is gloomy. Everything is depressed. Everything is just going to pot. Everything. My body, my mind, my teeth, my knees, my hips, my back, my shoulders, my shoulder blade, my elbow, my fingers, my hands, my toenails, my fingernails, my hair's falling out. My kids are rotten and sorry and a bunch of losers and my grandkids are... Just wind your life away, man. I want to sometimes get on, you don't have any. That's why I got off of Facebook. And I did it once and got defriended by one of our church people. I'd been teaching for two or three Wednesday nights on the fruit of the Spirit, on, the, on just joy. Two or three Wednesday nights on that one subject. And this person gets on Facebook and says, I wish I could find joy. And I cut loose, man. Have you been in church? Have you heard anything I said, you moron, you bonehead? Does the word of God get into your thick skull anywhere? I want joy in my life. And someone else texted and said, so do I. I'm like, you were there too. My word. Like people just can't wait to be diagnosed with something, man. Just I, I go to the doctor weekly hoping he can find something wrong. So I can get on Facebook and tell everybody I've just had a few days to live. What kind of life is that, man? You enjoy it? Get some vision about you, man. Square your shoulders and pick your chin up and say, hey, I'm going to start controlling my environment. And you know what? Everything in my life ain't in place either, and I don't live a perfect life either. We had a lamp that shorted out in our house the other night. I, I wasn't in the room. So I didn't see it. And... uh but Sister Murphy and I were persuaded that our electrician did something in our house three or four years ago, and all the outlets in our living room didn't work, and I hauled him up to the house and paid him money for him to tell me a lamp had charted out. My life ain't perfect either. I have to have tires put on my car like everybody else does, and it breaks down. I had a $2,500 heater core go out in my car at the end of last year around Christmas time. I can whine, but I refuse to whine. Only the Sister Murphy once in a while. But I 
have a wall to build. Do you hear me? And I'm not taking no for an answer. And I want you to get the same tenacity about you. Wish I could say what I want to say. I have to edit the tape. But if you want a preferable future, you have to take control over your environment instead of your environment controlling you. Based on God's empowerment, he'll empower you to do it, folks. He will. He will. Brother Merrill and I have been in with each other. We used to do it all the time. We quit it. We made an agreement about two years ago. We're not going to vent anymore. Going to be positive, going to be upbeat. Once in a while, you know, a little will slip out. And, but for the most part, we're plowing through, man. We've got a wall to build. Keeping a focus. We're going to be announcing something really cool here in a couple of weeks. I, I think you're going to really be blessed by it, and I hope it challenges your thinking. And uh, there are some other things coming down the pike. I need some visionary people here tonight to see church beyond the way you see it now. I feel like I'm harping more than teaching. This is very angelic, by the way. When you're harping, you see the halo? I'm up in the air harping on stuff right now. You want a better future. Vision is about pursuing control over your environment based on God's empowerment direction, and it'll make you a better future. Then the third part of that was a future focus to think ahead. Think ahead think ahead when I was in drafting back in the old days when you did board drafting we ultimately got smart and switched to computers I've just engaged a man who's been in the drafting business for probably as long as longer than I have had been and I asked him on CAD <laughs> oh no I ain't following CAD I don't like computers they don't like me I'm like, okay, schmo, just get stuck right there and let the world pass you by anyway. But you put a piece of drafting paper on your desk, and if you had notes to write, you had to think about how much paper you had on this edge. Please tell me you followed that. Does anybody not get that? If you want to write a long line of information and your paper runs out right here, Oops. And it's not always easy to erase and start over and move it over because you have stuff over here. So I don't know how many times, I can tell you how many times it happened to me three times. When I started drafting and that happened to me, our office manager came in who was eloquent at drafting. The best I've ever seen at board in my life. He would write a little word on my drafting paper. So not only did I have to erase what I put, I'd have to erase what he put. Thank you very much. But he'd write, think ahead, stupid. And stupid would curl down the edge. After that happened to me three times, you know what I started doing? I started thinking ahead. Envision, you have to think. And I know that's a hard mountain for some people to climb. But you have to think. You have to think ahead. Vision concentrates on the future. It focuses on thinking ahead rather than dwelling upon or seeking to replicate the past. Pentecostals reek with this. We want again 
what happened years ago. When God wants to give us something in the future, we've never had. Now y'all starting to make me nervous. The Jews fell into this trap. They walked around in that rubble in the book of Haggai, kicking the ashes and squalling and crying and say, we'll never have a Solomon's temple again. But Haggai stood up and he prophesied to them that the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former house. And they had to buy into that if they were going to get anywhere. And I'm telling you folks, and, they, and we all know it, we all hoop and holler about in Joel chapter 2 that God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. But we wanted him to do that like we want him to do that. And God says, no, I'm going to do that the way I want to do it. I just need for you to play along. You have to focus on the future. We all love the glory days, but they're not going to happen again. Not like that. It's going to be different. Not compromise. I'm not going to say the C word here tonight, even though you all know it. You don't have to do that, folks. God can pour out His Spirit on anybody He wants to. And most people can't extricate themselves from the lethargy or the downward spiral that they're experiencing because they just cannot persuade God to do church like He did at some point in the past. And so, if God, if you ain't going to do that, I'm just going to sit here to the rapture. And you might sit there till after the rapture. We have to move, folks, with the direction God's moving in. So vision has a future focus. This means to, uh, means to success in any church or any individual is to focus upon God and be committed fully to His vision and to what He will do with you in the future, we don't want to let go of our lives. We don't want to let go of our mind. We don't want to let go of our pocketbook sometimes. But God says, if you're going to do what I want you to do, you're going to have to let go of that stuff. You can't base who you are now and what you are now and determine by that what you're going to be in the future. God knows the future, and we have to give that to Him. But I want to follow Him into my future. I want this church to follow God into its future. And these things, believe it or not, and it's biblical, it's imparted by God. God has given pastors across our land vision for the future. They're doing things that they would have never dreamed they'd have done 20 years ago. I have a pastor friend right now that's doing things in his city that's blowing his own mind at what God is doing. And if you'd ask him 10 years ago, would you be doing that? He said, absolutely not. It'd be a waste of time and money. But he followed God. And God led him into a God-designed future. And they're blowing and going. So God has put in front of us a very unique situation here in our city where God is wanting to pull this church front and center in the city of Central. I want to follow him now. I'm uncomfortable. I'm as uncomfortable as anybody else when you hear these little guys up here praying for 30 minutes and Father God's every other word. Father God this, Father God that, Father God this, Father God that. I don't pray like that. But don't stand here and tell me that God don't hear me. 
Not that stupid, are we? Well, they're in false doctrine, Brother Murphy. So were you the day you came and repented and God heard you. Some of our area churches experience miracles of healing that's medically documented just like we do. Get our head out of the sand, man. God's got a big thing going on here that we've yet, God opened my eyes and let me see. I don't want to be like any of these other area churches. But I want to be a part of what God's doing. These things are imparted by God. He empowers us to accomplish it. Vision for personal spiritual growth is a reflection of what God wants to accomplish through you to build his kingdom rather than rely upon the abilities of humans to concoct a, a view of and to plan for the future the way they think. We need to have a God-centered, a God-focused a God future. And the future of our church and the people that God has placed on, in this church is just simply too important to him to allow man to take over and just say, we're going to do it this way and, and God's just going to have to like it. So make no mistake about it. Vision comes from God. I'm halfway through. Uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I'm going to tell you a real interesting story. All of you, most of you know the story on this building. I mean, God dropped this building in our lap, and um, he gave us the million dollars that was talked about. It wasn't in cash, but it was in square footage. We can prove it. It's documented. You can believe it or not. It don't matter to me. It's true. Had some folks at the house the other night for fellowship, and they asked a question about our previous pastor. And I don't know, it just kind of the way they ask it, it sparked my interest. I thought, well, I'll show you, show you pictures. So we drug out the photo albums and showed them pictures of our house where our church actually started in our living room. And then uh, the Nixons had been there. And uh, then we moved our uh, church from the living room to the garage. Our first Sunday, we had 16, and uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, soon moved it to the garage. and. We had 28 chairs in it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There you go. One, two, three, four. It was, our church was this section right here, this big. And couldn't get it to grow. We reached a few people and prayed through a few through the Holy Ghost, baptized a few people. But it just wasn't happening, man. I went there to build a wall. And I was discouraged. And I was out in the, the church, in the garage, praying. And it was nice. I had carpet on the floor and sheet rock just like this. I uh, spent it just like this building right here. Air conditioned, heated, the whole thing. <clears throat> See, 28 people. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. I was so discouraged, man. I was out in the garage one night praying my heart out. God, something's going to have to happen. The door's going to have to open. And Sister Murphy is my witness and photographs to prove it. A man called me that I never heard of, didn't know anything about him, didn't know he existed. Called me two days later said, I'm Jerry Wrong. He said, I pastor what used to be an apostolic church. And uh, he said, it was you see it one time, but he said, I let everything go. And he said, I thought I could grow it real big. And that was his words. And um, he said, it all backfired on me real bad. And he said, I've lost a lot of people. But he said, there's a handful of people, and about half of them are still into the holiness stuff, and the other half's not. And, uh, but he said, I heard you were here just the other day. He said, our church don't know it, but I have the building for sale on the market and uh, just going to sell it and let them go wherever and just call it quits. 
But he said, you can have this building if you want it with these people. Well, it was a huge answer to prayer. Um, the Nixons was been in that building several times. And we worked on it for six years and finally got it kind of looking nice and left it and came down here and started over. Anyway, but these folks at our house the other night commented, and it just really struck me, Brother Brian. He said, she said, so this is the second time that God has given y'all a building. I, Sister Murphy and I look at each other, and we look back at these folks, and we never thought of that before. How stupid am I? So God showed me back then that he could give me a, a church building if he wanted to. But I missed it until about two weeks ago. My eyes were closed for all those years until those folks came that night and essentially said, for the sake of this Bible study, Lord, let there be something. So this is the second building that God has dropped in my lap. Well, I thought I had pretty cool faith and ideas and creativity. I'm rocking and rolling with it now, buddy. Because in the mouth of two witnesses shall every word be established. And let me tell you something. If God decides that he don't want us here anymore and wants us to give us a church that way, that way, that way, that way, whatever, he'll do it. We have to be visionary people and not be satisfied with good only the best so stop whining get control of your environment quit passing your junk on to your kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and but quit passing all that junk down there's somebody here tonight and we'll talk to you about that uh, in the next week or two God spoke to me about it you have small children and it's going to be real easy for you to pass all the family junk down to them and bog them down like it did you. Don't do that. Break the cycle and start teaching your kids that in the kingdom of God you can be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do. I posted something, tweeted something the other day. I think it was Andy Stanley said it. Sometimes your greatest contribution to the kingdom is not what you give but what you raise. It's your kids. Folks, you want things to get better in your life? You have to quit thinking like you're thinking. Think big, man. Think big. Think outside the box. You want to win people? If what you're doing ain't working, change your strategy. It may require you being more social. It may require you being more fervent. It may require you being a little more prayerful. But for God's vision to come to pass in you, I think that's a cheap price to pay. Start thinking big. I want, I want things different for my family. I want things different for my kids. I want my lost kids back to serving God. And I'm not going to take no for an answer. I don't care if it has been 100 years. It's fixing to change. We're going to change our approach. We're going to change our strategy. If you harp on people about being in church all the time and it don't work, quit doing that. Harp on something else. Don't talk about it. Talk to somebody tonight. Say, I want to go meet your mother. Never been to church here before. I said, I'm not going to harp on her about church, and I don't. We have to change the way we think and get a vision that's from God and let God empower you to bring it to pass.
I live this stuff, man. This building, those of you that have been around, you know. Melanie, you know. Brother and Sister Nixon, you know. There's others here tonight. Brother Don, you were with us in the tail end of, of Baker. Uh, Brother Wayne and Sister Kathy was. Brother James and Sister Sarah was. There's others here tonight. You know, I have preached this stuff. I preached it for 15 years and it came to pass. You get what you preach. So if you want God to do things in your life, start talking it. Start thinking it. Make it a part of who you are and see what God does. Vision on a personal level. A personal vision. Personal. Everybody say personal. We talk about Jesus being a personal Savior, and he is. He can also give you a personal vision. Walk with him. He'll lead you where you need to go. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for your time, your attention. I've had more fun here tonight with you guys than a person ought to be allowed to have. And uh, I love our church. I love our, the heartbeat of this church. It's, it's a good church tonight. We've had one or two people tell me, preachers, if you ever want to leave, call me and I'd like to come try out. No. You want a church like this one, go find you 11 people and start one. That's what I recommend. Build your own. <laughs> but... Uh, God lead us, folks, where he wants us to go. It's a good church, but I want to be the best we can be, best we can be. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. I'd like for you to take a few moments and step outside your little clique of friends, meet somebody, talk to somebody different, go introduce yourself if you don't know them, go to the other side of the building and talk to somebody and shake their hand. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you Sunday morning for Mother's Day.